Hello and welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto. If you are new here, this is the podcast for everything cryptocurrency, from buying it, selling it, staking it, and everything in between. Today on the podcast, we sit down with Chloe White, who is the founder and managing director of Genesis Block. We talk about the future of all things blockchain and cryptocurrency. Now, Chloe is an industry leader. She sits on a number of advisory boards, including the Strategic Policy Advisor for Blockchain Australia. Chloe led the implementation of the National Blockchain Roadmap and worked with key industry figures to create recommendations for the Senate on the future of blockchain and cryptocurrency in Australia. In this episode, we dive deep into where Chloe feels the future of blockchain might lead, what projects she's currently interested in, how she's seen the conversation change and what companies and industries are starting to look into all things crypto. There's some pretty heavy insights in this episode. So if you do get something out of it, it would mean the absolute world if you screenshot the episode and share on social media tagging at typing into crypto. So if you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran or just crypto curious, I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping Into Crypto. Welcome to the podcast, Chloe White. It is so wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So we were just chatting before we hit record. Chloe, you've done some incredible work in this space and I have loved following along on your journey. Can you let everyone know what you're up to now? What is Genesis Block and and what you're currently doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, I'm the founder and managing director of Genesis Block, which is an Australian-based crypto asset consulting firm. Uh, So we support the crypto industry and individual businesses, investors, funds, anyone who is kind of an organization with an interest in the digital asset space. Aside from that, I I sit on a couple of boards. I'm the appointed strategic policy advisor to Blockchain Australia, which is the peak industry body for the sector. Uh, So I've got a, a couple of things going on, but primarily interested in helping to move forward the Australian regulatory regime for crypto. Amazing. Yes, just a couple of things there. (laughs) A couple of very important things. And what about yourself? Have you purchased cryptocurrency along in your journey? Yeah, I first started trading crypto back in 2017. I fomoed into that bull run. I was sick of uh, hearing my friends talk about it and not being a part of it myself. So I experimented at the time. Obviously, I had Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, I'm ashamed to say I also at some points in time had a uh, Ripple and Litecoin. Uh, of course, so, you know, most that, people did. <laughs> it, it's it's difficult to talk about, and I don't like to discuss those days. But uh, that that was my foray into crypto, and uh, I just found it really fascinating at that time. All the hype and the volatility, and wanting to understand what it was all about. And I kind of went down the rabbit hole and and haven't come back up out. How good. And it is um, so funny looking back at some of the things that you do when you first started out. And I feel like everyone goes on this journey. When you start in the cryptocurrency world, you're like, oh, and I know even myself, like I I was worse. I looked at coins or projects and I was like, oh, that's a cool name. I'll just buy (laughs) because the name sounded good. Um, And when you look back in hindsight at all the things you did starting out, you're like, oh my gosh, if only I knew. I literally had no idea what I was doing at all. (laughs) (laughs) Which is where we all started. It's exactly why this podcast is here to help everyone else and and make us realize that we are. We all start somewhere, which is really cool. Absolutely. 
Amazing. Cool. So I want to dive a little bit back into your past before we go on to what you're working on now, which is so incredible. So previously, you did lead the implementation of the National Blockchain Roadmap, which was incredible. Can you talk to us about the work that was actually done here and what it meant for the future of blockchain? Yeah, the National Blockchain Roadmap is a five-year plan that the Australian government launched just before COVID, actually. And the, the idea of the roadmap is to help grow awareness of blockchain technology and grow the industry in Australia. And it was inspired by some countries overseas that had already implemented their own roadmaps. And it was an interesting project because it brought together a number of different federal agencies. So there were quite a few different government portfolios that all chipped in to help shape that roadmap. And then when it was launched, it highlighted some of the applications of blockchain, uh, finance obviously being one of the, the highlights, but looking at other sectors of the economy where blockchain was being explored as well. So I helped to set up the architecture for that roadmap when it was actually implemented. And that essentially meant, you know, supporting a steering committee of experts and rolling out programs. So there were about a dozen different initiatives announced in the five-year plan, and I did some work to set up most of the dozen. So it was a pretty busy kind of 18 months that I had there. And that was the last contribution that I made to blockchain policy from within government. And then in June this year, I stepped out to, to work for myself and launched Genesis Block. Which is amazing. And it's really cool seeing the work that you're doing now. Like it was so impactful and powerful, but you can just reach and, and speak with so many more people now being outside that fold. So it is really cool. And I do want to dive into that. So with those initiatives, what were the things that were included on that roadmap if someone hasn't read it? Yeah, a few highlights that I would point out would be um, I founded the APS Blockchain Network, which was essentially to bring together public servants from all different levels of government. So we had federal, state, even some local council people who reached out to us from all those layers of the public service who had some kind of interest in blockchain. And then we ran a whole series of events to try to educate the public service about blockchain and digital assets as well. And that network is still going now. Uh, but that was a really rewarding thing to be a part of and, and kind of direct and moderate those those different educational workshops. And um, another thing was that I was the Australian representative on the advisory board of INAPBA, which is an international blockchain association that brings together government, academia, industry to talk about policy and talk about blockchain use cases. So that was a really interesting forum because we made quite a few efforts in terms of bilateral and multilateral diplomacy to reach out to countries overseas and see where could the Australian government make partnerships with other countries to experiment with blockchain use cases. And we've seen the Australian government launch a number of pilots on blockchain. Um, another thing that was announced in the budget when I was there was some funding for Australian startups to launch blockchain pilots where they would collaborate with Australian regulators. Um, and so there were a couple of reg tech and supply chain projects that got funded through that work. And those parts are still going on now. So we'll be very interested to see what the results of those will be. Um, so, you know, I guess it was really a blend of education, collaboration with governments, with industry, and just trying to bring together really diverse groups of stakeholders so that everybody could learn about what's the potential of the space. Wow. Oh my gosh. I think there'll be so many people listening to this right now and going, 
I had no idea this was happening in the space because it is really cool to see like, I guess, how progressive we are in this space and that all these conversations have taken place, you know, in the past, you know, we're doing even more now, but this is stuff that's already been happening. It's live now and we're starting to see some of the rewards of this work. So I think it's really cool that we are, I guess, so supportive of this and you were able to, to lead this change and get people talking about it. What was it like when you were first having these conversations? I know blockchain itself and we, we have an episode that breaks down what it is. It is something that is so complex and challenging to get your head around if it's the first time you're hearing it. How did you find all of those early stage conversations? Yeah, 100%. And you know, even still to this day, I'm continuing to refine my approach to how do you help people have that light bulb moment where you know you grab onto something that makes them curious and make them want to learn more? And how do you help people to feel that all of this technology and, and everything is actually tangible? Because it can seem quite complex and esoteric. And I think there are not really too many good 101 guides out there and people kind of want to have that 101 explainer. So, you know, I do think that it is about understanding what are the existing points of view that someone might have if they already have a technology background or an economics background or whatever the case may be that, you know, relating it to something that they already understand. But, you know, there are still a lot of skeptics out there and you find skeptics in every different part of the sector. And of course, there are, you know, also people in government who are a little bit reluctant or don't understand. And it can feel quite risky for anyone who's working in any government to feel that they have to engage with something or make decisions on something where they don't have complete information. But at the same time, you know, that is actually the job of, of government and policy advisors is they have to make judgments and they have to be able to make decisions that move things forward in the face of incomplete data. And so it's about what are the critical pieces of information that are needed and and for who and at what point in time. And, you know, that's just as much part of the skill and part of the conversation as actually communicating, you know, the the technical knowledge and that sort of thing. So I think, um, you know, it's something that I'm always trying to get better at is helping, you know, engage people and integrate people into this strange world that we occupy. But more and more people are getting interested and asking questions. And I, I just notice as I kind of go about doing my daily business, This week, you know, I went to a couple of local shops and convinced people to give lightning a go and sent them some Bitcoin. And, you know, it's really fun to see people's face light up when they actually use the technology and they have the experience of it. And I just really enjoy having that moment and giving that to people. Oh, I love that. And I think it is like taking away that fear factor for so many people as well. Like it's not scary. It's just something new. Like once upon a time, using PayPal was scary and using all the things that we have on a daily basis. Like I still remember when they brought out chips for cards and then tap and pay, like they were all new technologies that were, of course, a lot easier to understand and comprehend than blockchain and cryptocurrency. But they were new at some point and people were like, oh, I don't want to do that. What if someone like steals my credit card details while I'm walking around because they can read the chip? Or, or something like that. Um, it is really cool once you actually say it. it's not scary. It's just this new way of living. That's so true. I think people are always sometimes quite reluctant when there's a new technology that comes along, but you know, people then do adapt and it and it gets taken for granted. I remember seeing one policy paper that the government published years ago when blogs were becoming popular on the internet. And the government literally ran a consultation process to find out how they should be leveraging blog technology. No and that just seems so funny now, right? 
But, you know, that's kind of what it's like when something new emerges uh, that people then do this, you know, this whole kind of forensic study of it and say, wow, what are, what are the possibilities of this strange new thing? And that's definitely where people are at with blockchain. They're kind of looking at it from every different angle, trying to understand what its potential is. And, you know, nobody would would talk about blog technology now because it's just called publishing things on the internet. And, you know, I, I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out in terms of blockchain and crypto as well. Yes, definitely. There are some really exciting things happening in the space. And one that I'd love to touch on with you is the Senate have just released their recommendations on crypto asset policy. Um, And you did work on this along with some other really cool key players in the space. For those that haven't read the article or even heard about this yet, can you talk to us about what those recommendations were and how they came to life? Yes, absolutely. This is the hottest thing happening in crypto policy now. Everyone's been anticipating the Senate recommendations to the government for a long time. And I know that parliamentary processes can seem a bit foreign to people. So I'll just break this down for a minute. So sometimes the Australian Senate will form special interest groups and they will review uh, in a deep dive fashion a particular policy area or subject where they want to put together some bipartisan recommendations. And so a Senate committee was formed that brought together people from the left and the right side of politics. And this committee then listened to advice from the fintech sector and the crypto sector on what could Australia do to become a global leader in fintech and regtech and crypto. Um, And so this inquiry has been going on for quite some time. And there's been multiple rounds of submissions made, which are like policy proposals or recommendations that come from the community and from businesses and so on, and rounds of testimony as well, where a witness will be invited to come and speak in Senate about what are the challenges and the opportunities. And so I had a lot of fun being involved in this process. Um, One of the things that I worked on was as the strategic advisor to Blockchain Australia, I coordinated a working group of Blockchain Australia's members to come up with some recommendations that would help the entire industry and also help consumers and the general public as well to make the whole space safer for everybody. And uh, SwiftX was one of the companies that was involved in that work. And so we got together and came up with some recommendations that we posed to the Senate committee. And then I was invited to go and give witness testimony at the hearings to talk about some of the challenges And one of the things that we did as part of that work was we talked about what are other countries doing overseas and what have been some of the early lessons that have come out of that? What can Australia adopt from from that in terms of international examples? And what are some Australian-specific issues that we might want to take into consideration? And so a lot of the recommendations that we put forward were designed to promote a regulatory certainty for businesses so that it's easier for them to operate in Australia and they won't have to be forced offshore or they won't have to, you know, go out of business just because of how uncertain the legal application of the regulatory framework can be. But the other thing that we were balancing that with was saying we also want these policy reforms to be something that are good for consumers so that consumers get more choice, more protection, better advice. And so those were the things that we advocated for. And we were really pleased that the Senate committee adopted pretty much most of our recommendations. I think eight out of 10 of our recommendations were taken up in the Senate's advice to government. When that advice is put to the elected government of the day, they generally would take a few months to then consider the recommendations and provide a response. So at this point in time, we don't yet know 
what the government will say about the recommendations that were put forward by the Senate, but we know that they're giving that consideration at the moment. And so some of the recommendations that were put forward by the Senate that were things that we advocated for in the Blockchain Australia Working Group were things like licensing, for example. So at the moment in Australia, it's not possible for professional financial advisors to give advice about crypto investments because they're not clearly defined in the law. And so that means anyone who is looking for advice on investing in crypto or adding digital assets to their portfolio can't go to their licensed advisor and get personalized advice about that they would be then forced to turn to influencers online who may not be qualified or or may not be transparent about their incentives. And so that is a little bit of a dangerous situation for consumers. Another thing that we advocated for was issues around custody and licensing of the exchange platforms. Uh, So at the moment, there are no or there are few rules that really would um, tell an exchange you know, how they should be handling crypto asset custody, for example. And because crypto assets are bearer assets, the question of custody is really important. And, you know, anyone who's been in this space for long enough would have heard so many stories, particularly overseas, of a lot of um, hacks and different things that have happened where you've custodied your crypto with some third party and then something has gone wrong. And it's very difficult to have any recourse in that type of scenario. So that's another example of the type of thing that we brought to the committee and they really engaged in that issue in in quite a deep way and accepted the recommendation. How exciting. Oh my gosh. And we will pop in the show notes, the links where you can go and read all about these and see what was put forward because it's so exciting. Like this stuff is seriously game-changing, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens in this space. And even just the fact that these conversations are happening is so exciting as well. That's true. Like some days I feel like, is this a dream? I can't believe, you know, how these conversations have progressed to this stage, but it really feels inevitable now that we see that this is a conversation that is not just a flash in the pan. Like this is an industry that's really established itself as, you know, built of people and customers that are invested in the space, not just financially, but you know, emotionally, I think it's a technological innovation that really inspires people and people are committed to being here and building. Yeah. And I think that is the hard part. If you've been in crypto for a while, you have been on this journey and you're in the tech, like you know what's going on, you know the benefits of this, you know how this can change the world. And I guess seeing those bull and bear markets, when it is a bull market, you're like, oh my God, everyone gets it. Everyone is on this journey with me. This is going to become a thing. Like this is just going to happen in society. And then it falls flat. And that's kind of been the pattern that we've been on. But there will be a point where this does become more mass adopted and where it is just part of our everyday life. And it's so exciting to feel like that's closer than it's ever been before. That's so true. You know, like during the bear market, I think a lot of us felt like we were crazy, right? Because it seemed so obvious to us that there were all of these things coming and all of this potential. But then when it did actually arrive, it felt surreal to me and I think to some other people as well. And the bull markets are just so crazy. I think that, you know, there's a lot of noise and distraction. So I I don't know what's going to happen from here, but, you know, I think it's very exciting. And one way or another, I think that there's definitely a critical mass of people who are sufficiently across the space and invested in the space that I think there's always going to be some kind of flaw on, you know, people who have that passion and enthusiasm that drives them through. So regardless of price volatility, I think there's a very strong community that sits underneath the space. 
Yes, definitely. Now, I'd love to dive into what you're doing now because this is so exciting as well. And I love through Genesis Block, you are working with a whole heap of people now, providing them insight and guidance and strategy around all sorts of things in the crypto space and financial markets. Can you talk to us about what sort of businesses you're seeing work with you now and that are interested in digital assets and blockchain? Yeah. So at the moment, we're working with some exchanges and brokers. And we're also working with investors and funds. And we have been approached by quite a diverse set of people who are looking to you know, build different projects using blockchain and some of them kind of operating in you know, the Web3 space or doing DeFi or NFTs. So there's a lot going on just in crypto. And that already feels very diverse to me. But we also are seeing that there are a lot of uh, traditional financial sector businesses that are really wanting to put their flag in the ground of this space. So, you know, some of the recent announcements that have happened in Australia have been BetaShares came out and made their announcement that they'll be launching an index of crypto companies. We've also seen that there are a few Australian businesses looking to launch uh, crypto-related exchange-traded funds, and ASIC has released some guidance around that, which has been really good to see, and that's been moving quite quickly Um, And even just this morning, we saw Commonwealth Bank made an announcement that they are going to be integrating crypto into their banking app, which is a really clever play from them. And I think it feels to me like, you know, other dominoes will fall now off the back of that. It, It had been on my mind how long it would take until one of the banks would do that. It feels to me like a very obvious thing for a bank to do because they are already trusted custodians um, and they already have a lot of infrastructure in place to be able to jump on board of this opportunity. So, you know, those have all been signs of institutional interest and big traditional financial players who who want to have a stake in this space. I think though as well, one of the big trends that I'm seeing is that where I think in the first wave of crypto, a lot of it was built around these kind of tech punk, you know, online communities that had a very libertarian ethos and were quite focused on individuals Uh, Now there's a lot of interest in organizing communities online and governance of communities. And there's this focus on building discords and gathering people around a platform and an idea. And it's kind of less what is technically possible to achieve and more about, you know, how can you rally people and inspire people around a project or a community? So, you know, that's kind of driving a lot of interest in things like DAOs and Web3 and you know, that's something that I'm very curious about because I think that it's interesting to see how, you know, you have these different waves of applications where people get inspired, but, you know, with a different kind of ethos or goal. Yes. Oh my gosh. And if someone, so we do have quite a few listeners that are, that are new to the crypto space. So if someone hasn't heard of DAO, what, what is that? And how can you, at a super high level, because it's a very, very big topic to unpack, but at a high level, what's that going to mean for them? Yeah. So I think that, I kind of relate it to the gig economy, you know, that you can sort of self-select into being part of a community. And that could be just that you're a user of the product and then you might have a token that allows you to vote on upgrades to the product and what features you want prioritized. So that's a kind of a simple example. But if you then also wanted to contribute to the product by actually helping to build the brand or the product by adding some of your skills, then you could kind of self-select into a job in that protocol. Um, And that's where you then would be rewarded in tokens as more of kind of like a bounty or a salary or something like that. And they may be voting on on that as well. So it gets into some quite interesting issues around labor markets and uh, 
you know, and self-employment, and which is such a big trend in the labor market anyway, and especially for kind of like the millennial generation. And, you know, people are talking a lot at the moment about the, the so-called great resignation and a lot yes. of people feeling burned out after COVID and wanting to try things differently. And then at the same time, you have the rise of crypto and of tech. And so, you know, the DAO trend, DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, but essentially the label is being used quite broadly to describe these distributed online communities that use tokens to incentivize participation and engagement with the product. Yeah. And a really great, just easy way to understand that as well is when we touched on miners a few episodes ago and people mining for crypto, it's kind of taking that to the next level, which is, again, something that will just be so revolutionary. Just the examples that you've said there, there's so many opportunities that you can see there that people can just be empowered and really embrace decentralization incompleteness, like all the way down to where you're working, how you're working, when you're working on your terms. It's um really cool. It's very interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really difficult about being in the crypto space is that we know that it's risky and we know that it's volatile and we know that mistakes happen. And we know that it's hard to predict what people are going to do with the technology and some of the trends that will come along. You know, I did not think that NFTs were going to blow up this much, right? So it's a very unpredictable space and that's what makes it so interesting and so exciting. I think at the same time, and, you know, as you were saying before, for people who've been around crypto for a long time, it's easy to feel like you're in a bit of a defensive position sometimes because we have been criticized all around the world from really big, powerful vested interests And, you know, how many times has China tried to ban crypto or how many times have we heard that, you know, it's only for criminals and all all this kind of ridiculous stuff, which we know is not true. But, you know, it it is hard as well sometimes for people in the space to be honest about, well, you know, maybe not all of this is actually going to the moon or it's not all perfect or it's, you know, some of these innovations may have trade-offs. And so, you know, one of the things that I would like to see emerge a little bit more is, you know, some more balanced criticism, because I think that, you know, there's a a bit of an extreme situation at both ends of the spectrum that we face, where on one hand, we have people who they really understand the premise of crypto and they're deeply emotionally invested in it. And they would only say that, you know, everything is positive and they have an answer to every question. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have these absolute critics who don't really get it at all. They have a lot of misunderstandings and misinformation about the space. And they will make these gross blanket statements about how it's all going to zero and it's all meaningless. And, you know, my question is kind of like, who are the people that are in between? That they do understand the premise of crypto, but they're also willing to question different scenarios of where this could go. And so one of the things that I think about when we talk about things like Web3 and DAOs, you know, I hear this phrase a lot that we're democratizing the internet. But on the other hand, what if we're building walls and gated communities that are just going to bring inequality from meat space into our internet forums? Because a lot of the things that are now happening in some of these forums is they're saying, well, you can get basic level access to the Discord, but you need to have this many tokens or this type of thing to get the full experience. And it kind of reminds me of if you go into a bar, but then you have to pay, you know, like a $20 door fee to go upstairs. And I don't know if that is going to mean that a lot of people around the world, especially in some less developed economies, are going to be locked out of participating in some of this innovation. And, you know, that's something that I think 
is an example of where maybe we need to have a, a bit more of a discussion about these different scenarios because this kind of discussion that we have where these two extremes on both sides is not a particularly sophisticated discussion. And I'd like to see a little bit more conversation that's in the middle. Yes, 100%. And I think like personally, even just reflecting on, I guess, the communities and networks that I'm part of, I do feel like even the general conversation has evolved so much, even in the last six months. Like I remember, you know, when Doge first came on the market again, and we went through that huge run and everyone was like, oh, this coin, it's great. And no one really asked what the project was about. You know, the the lack of conversations around the fact that that was actually a joke or a meme coin was so little that it was so concerning for me. What Watching that unfold. Whereas now we're seeing, you know, Sheba's just had a run, but there's more people that are having conversations around the fact that, hey, this is just, it, it's not real. And again, with Doge, like there's more people having a conversation around the fact that these particular projects, they've done the research, they understand that they don't potentially have a, a very strong use case for future, which I think was lacking last time. So that's been really cool to see. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a lot more education now than there used to be. I still think it's challenging for newcomers to find that knowledge and to know how to separate it from a lot of the noise, which we know also does ramp up in the bull markets. And I see people trading now the way that I used to trade in 2017, where they're just aping into whatever is offered on the platform that they've signed up to, and they couldn't tell their Doge from their Bitcoin. Um, and you know that's a quite a risky thing as well, because if someone out there or many people out there get burned from jumping onto trends, then that might turn them off, you know, the things that are actually really valuable. For me personally, when I'm thinking about investing in this space, I think it's important to take a really long-term perspective. You know, find some positions that you would be happy to hold for many years. And if you're not comfortable to hold Shiba or Doge for many years, then that should probably make you think twice about, you know, what are the fundamentals of the project or what at least would be your investment thesis for thinking about why that project should retain any value over a number of years. You know, the the questioning is what's important in the process is making sure that at least in your own mind that you can answer those questions to yourself. Yes. Oh my gosh. It, and it, I love this. And I think guys, if you're listening to this and this episode is hitting home, which I know for you, it will for so many of you, this is a good one to share with anyone who is a skeptic, with anyone who has challenged your thoughts, because we're discussing some pretty big topics here and we have proof that other people are really interested in this. The government is having really interesting conversations about this. So I think this episode, and of course, all the beginner ones are great as well, but this one is a really good one to share with anyone that you think might need to hear it. So Chloe, I would love to dive into as well. You, of course, are so heavily involved in this space. Are there any projects or assets that you've seen that really excite you or you're particularly interested in? Yeah, it's a funny thing for me because, you know, in terms of the the work that we do on a day-to-day basis with our clients, you know, the types of things that we're working on would be, you know, a, a bit of the broader market analysis and advising on things like mining or things like policy and regulatory reform and regulatory uncertainty. And so they're really decisions of business strategy or business operations, you know, and at the same time, I think that what makes you able to kind of see, well, you know, what's a good strategy or how do you put together some market analysis? You also need to be paying attention to what's happening at the frontier and where the cutting edge innovation is. And I always cast my mind to, you know, well, what will finance look like in five years and 10 years? Because what I expect will happen is that we'll see more and more of this adoption and integration 
of digital assets into traditional finance and they'll become entwined. And so, you know, some of the things that I really focus on in terms of projects, I love to see what people are doing in the DeFi space. It makes a lot of sense to me uh, intuitively that DeFi is something that is going to grow and grow and grow. And I don't expect that it will necessarily look in five or 10 years time how it looks today. But to be able to see the ways that people are replicating traditional financial primitives in this new parallel financial system is very exciting. And I love to engage with it myself. But I also then want to kind of think about, well, say this continues to grow, which I think that it will, what will be the reactions from big banks and regulators? And you know, how does that incentivize people who are building and designing protocols to change their decisions? And then what does that mean for the product and for the end user? And so thinking about how DeFi will evolve is something that I just really love. And then aside from that, you know, another thing that I've thought about a lot in recent years and that I'm paying a lot of attention to still is this whole idea of scalability. And there have been a lot of debates about, you know, my layer one is better than your layer one and block wars and block size debates and things. But, you know, ultimately, I think that the sensible conclusion is to say a robust layer one that is decentralized is going to have some scalability trade-off. Maybe instead of thinking that you should solve scalability at layer one, we focus more on layer two. And, you know, some people are taking the route of building competing base chains. Certainly that is a trend that I think is interesting. But to me, what's more interesting is kind of thinking about layer two scalability. And one thing that I've been tracking over the past year has been the rapid adoption of the Lightning Network. I think Lightning is just popping off and going so well. And it's fun to use and it's easy to use. And it's a great way to get other people interested in crypto. If they haven't ever used blockchain before, you can really in just a few seconds, like get them to download a Lightning Wallet flick them some sats and you're good to go. And then, you know, they all of a sudden are now a person that has Bitcoin. And I think that's really cool. I think that the layer two developments on Ethereum are a bit further behind. They seem to be a little bit more kind of buggy and beta to me, but I'm paying a lot of attention to it as well and trying to learn about the technology that sits behind it because I do think that, you know, these different approaches are all really useful to track and learn about. And so then, you know, I can take all of, these trends that I'm seeing and lay over that my own knowledge about traditional finance from, you know, work that I've done and then try to imagine this future world. And then I integrate that into kind of my own personal framework about where are we all collectively headed? Um, You know, but then of course you always have to bring that back to the day-to-day because when you're in a board meeting with a CEO or you're putting together a report or a strategy for a client, you need to be able to give them practical advice that they can action and make a decision on. So it's really important, I think, to have yourself firmly grounded in, you know, what is happening today? What are the challenges? Where are the threats coming from? You know, I think at the moment, there is a lot of excitement around, we've got the Senate committee, we've got bull run, all-time highs, and, you know, it's great. But there there are still a lot of hurdles that we're going to need to overcome and a lot of change that's going to come. And, you know, some of that is going to be imposed externally and some of it is going to be driven by innovation and, and consumer preferences. But I think, you know, one thing that I always count on is that crypto will always surprise you. And, you know, something crazy is going to happen every other day. That's what makes it so fun for me. 
(laughs) Just when you think you've got it figured out, it does something completely opposite. You're like, oh, okay, right, cool. We're here. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Um, And guys, Chloe is obviously a very trusted wealth of knowledge here, but we always recommend doing your own research as we do in every episode. So there will have been, I'm sure, some light bulb moments for some of you there listening to the things that Chloe said, like particularly even just um, drawing parallels to how big financial institutions changed when buy now, pay later went mainstream. You know, buy now, pay later was a dirty word for a long time in the fintech sector. It was something that people were like, oh, no, no, I don't want to be involved in that. And now almost every bank has a partnership or actually has built their own buy now, pay later system. So it's really cool to think bigger and zoom out and think about where you do think the future of the financial market will go. So that is incredible advice and thoughts that you're able to encourage people to start thinking bigger, Chloe. I love that. Amazing. And yeah, such a good example with Buy Now, Pay Later, you know, they were kind of like the Uber of finance. They just came in, scaled rapidly, and now it's super mainstream. And uh, you know, I think that that is the challenge for regulators is how do they respond to these really rapid pace innovations but i think you know ultimately humans are really good at finding ways to use technology to level up their situation so i'm ultimately optimistic on that Yes. Amazing. Well, there's been so much incredible advice here. But if someone is wanting to really learn more and challenge their thinking and get involved with blockchain and the future of crypto, where would you suggest they can find some good resources? I have two pieces of advice that I give people on this. The first one is actually to just use the tech. You know, like if you actually use some protocols, you know, layer one, layer two, and just actually check it out. I think there's nothing like having a tangible experience and a firsthand experience to really help understand even what questions you have, you know, and then from there, that kind of gives you a guide as to where you need to go and look next. Um, So using the tech is really rewarding. You know, I would say like, go and set up a node, you know, go, go and look at a blockchain reader, a blockchain visualizer, trace your own transactions, do chain analysis on yourself, you know, try and make it really practical and hands-on. And then the other piece of advice I would give people is try not to learn everything on the internet, like go and join real world communities. There are so many meetup groups out there. If you go onto the meetup website or you know, something like that. I think it is actually really important to connect with humans on this stuff because you can get a bit of a skewed impression if you're just kind of looking at Twitter or something like that. It's good to hear from, you know, the diverse people that exist out in the real world. So I would say make yourself a part of your local community and and ask questions. Yes, that's brilliant advice. It's a little bit easier to see if someone's got another agenda in person as well. You get to find out a little bit more about them than just what they're pushing on the internet. So that's true. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chloe. It's been incredible chatting to you. We will pop it all in the show notes. But if someone wants to follow along on your work and what you're doing, where can they find you? I am on Twitter. I'm accessible via email. I'm on a few different platforms and things. So check out the show notes and feel free to reach out to me. I love meeting new people and and hearing feedback from people. So happy to get anyone's questions or, or input on these topics. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chloe. And we will chat to you very soon. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 